0: Hello and welcome finally back to Pan Am. I'm your host, Amber. And if you're new to the podcast, then bienvenue. Pan Am is a podcast where I endeavour to discover some of the unusual stories that catch my attention from Paris's long, dark past. It's also a way for me to learn more about the city I love and a good excuse for all the time and money I spend on books about Paris. In each episode, I try to bring a story to life through a concrete object, something tangible, be it a street sign, building, statue or whatever. Something that links us to the story that is no longer seen and brings new, well at least to me, perspective on what we're looking at. It's been quite a long time since I last spoke to you. 2020 has been quite the year for everyone, me included. And so thank you to everyone who wrote me such nice messages asking me about when the podcast was coming back. None more so than Christopher, who reached out to me and even offered to help. So if this episode sounds even more fabulous than usual, that's very much thanks to him. Anyway, it's been long enough, so let's get going. After my research for the last episode, I thought we might look at some of the more beautiful or unusual signs and standards that you can spot around Paris, and a little about their history. But the more I looked into it, the denser I realised the subject was. I even read a great 19th century book which lamented the fate of a fellow sign enthusiast, one Bertie, who spent 20 years researching the subject and died before finishing his tome. I know how Bertie felt. The subject truly is endless. So instead of trying to examine the many, 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 many beautiful signs, shopfronts and engravings in Paris, I've decided to look first a little bit into the history of how signs changed and choose a few examples to illustrate this. And then, in a later episode, I'll find a few different examples of interesting and problematic signs to discuss in more detail. So what had intended to be one episode seems to have turned into more, as there were so many interesting stories. Nonetheless, this is far from an exhaustive look at the subject. I would advise you, when you're in Paris, as ever, to look up, and you will see lots of lovely signs all around you. So without further ado, put on some comfortable shoes, and let's start by heading to the cobbled, narrow market street of Rue Mouffetard. So here we are on the Rue Mouffetard. You might recall we've already been here to investigate the unfortunate events at Saint-Médard, but we are here today to cast our gaze up and examine the street signs, at least those which are still here, and learn about some that are thankfully gone. Street signs in Paris go back to as long as there have been shops, streets or important houses. There are certainly records from around the 13th century. Then, noblemen would distinguish their houses with their coat of arms, or simply their names, artisans and merchants with a symbol of their craft. It was also very frequent to put a statue of a saint in a niche on the street, usually found on the corner of the road or above doors. Don't forget that each saint is the patron saint of a particular métier. A baker might choose to put up a statue of Saint Honoré, a hatmaker Saint-Jacques, a cobbler Saint-Crépin, etc., etc., Having your patron saint near your business brought you, hopefully, a little bit of divine luck. They were also a great way of not only identifying your property, but it was also a handy navigational tool for the general population in a time before street numbers or widespread literacy. A successful sign would often be used as the de facto name of a street, and indeed there are an astonishing number of roads in Paris named after old shop signs. Another custom was to name a street after a particular type of work or industry, and in that street you would find those artisans. So Ironmonger Street, or Soapmaker Street for example, would have been all you needed to know in order to find those particular people. You can still find streets named after professions in Paris, Rue de Boulanger or Baker Street for example. The most evocative were often the streets frequented by sex workers. Most have been completely renamed. However, Rue de Pélican, a relatively secluded street in the first arrondissement, originally had the more colourful name of Poil au con, which translates to... Well, how should I put this? Poil is hair and con is a vulgar way of describing a certain lady part. I'm sure you get the idea. It was renamed in the 19th century Pelican, which is clearly a cleaner version of the original. However, progressively, as artisans moved away from their designated streets and spread out into the city, they therefore increasingly needed their own personal signs as a means of attracting customers and letting them know they were there. One of the first businesses to see the importance of a good sign were inns or taverns, in order to let travellers, who were new to the city, know where they might find somewhere to eat and sleep. Many an inn is known as the golden lion, for the simple reason that in French, le lion d'or, golden lion, sounds a lot like le lit d'or, the bed where we sleep. See? The French truly have an enduring love of puns and wordplay. There are plenty of modern shops with puns in their name, and most of the time I am unable to understand it. I'm left baffled with my French husband slowly explaining it to me. It has been excruciating, reading books in French which go into great detail about the clever puns, or as they call them, rebuts, which in the past often used images as well as or instead of words to make clever and interesting jokes. Which is why I feel pretty pleased with myself when I do get it. One such sign is for a shop that sold knives and scissors. On the front, there are six circles, or rather six O's. Try saying that with a French accent and you have six O's. French for scissors. Now all was going swimmingly until about the 17th century, when for some reason signs started becoming enormous. The bigger, the better seemed to be the feeling. This was in part due to the change in the type of signs people were using. Instead of the simple painted or sculpted image hanging above the entrance, it became more common to use signs made from sheets of iron, cut and painted, and hung on poles extending into the street, often past the shop shutters. Keep in mind that it was usual for shops to display their wares in front of the building, and customers didn't need to enter to buy. These signs, therefore, had the added advantage of protecting patrons from the sun or rain. In an already narrow market street like Rumuftar, this made the space available to walk quite limited as well as shops displaying goods on either side of the street, bear in mind that down the middle of the road there was essentially an open sewer. It was crowded and these signs, although they kept the rain off, were criticised for preventing air circulating to let out the pungent odours and stopping the sunshine getting in. In brisk wind, they would sway and crash into each other in a terrifying manner, apparently. It was also practically impossible for carts to go beneath them, so they impeded traffic. In his extensive book from 1884, The History of the Signs of Paris, Edward Fournier describes a few choice examples. A boot as big as a boy, a glove outside a perfume shop so large that a three-year-old child could sit on each finger the fashion for big signs had gotten so out of hand that they'd even come down from their place above the shop and onto the pavement. Colossal structures, some of them even illuminated at night, had begun appearing around Paris. He describes a gigantic head outside a hairdresser's, a huge hat at a milliner's, and so on. I've even read, although not in Fournier's book, about a dentist who had hung a giant molar-shaped sign the size of an armchair outside his surgery that caused at least one death when it fell and crushed the unlucky person who happened to be walking underneath. Signs and standards had gone from discreet indicators to lethal street furniture, and the police had had enough they already had plenty to deal with without accidental death by molar. So, in 1669, the police decreed that signs must be hung at least 13 and a half feet above the ground, which is nearly 4 metres, in order to let people and carts go underneath, and they could be no wider than 2 feet, about 60 centimetres. But it was just too tempting for Parisians, who preferred to pay the fines and keep their gigantic signage. So, in 1761, the police had finally had enough and banned hanging signs altogether, well, at least for a time. They were from now on to be replaced with painted wall decorations. Some chose to paint directly onto the buildings, most onto wooden panels. Few of these have survived, as over time they faded, were damaged or replaced. Some can now be seen in the Musee Carnavale, although there are still some to be seen in the streets of Paris. Let us go now to number 122, Rue Muftar, to see an example of a sign painted onto wood, which is also quite a nice pun for us. It is the oldest sign here on the street, dating back to the 17th century, and it's called A la sauce, at the Good Spring, which is written just below the picture. Painted onto wood, we see an image of two boys dressed in the style of Henry IV, pulling water from a well. In 1592, this shop was a wine merchant and the owner was a Monsieur de Puy. This is our first pun. Puy, as in his name, is spelt P-U-Y. But it sounds exactly like Puy, P-U-I-T, which is French for well, as in water well. Now, originally, instead of à la bonne sauce, outside Mr. Well's shop was written the Puy sans vin, the well without wine. However, when said together, puis sans well without, it sounds like the French word for powerful or strong. So the puissant vin, the well without wine, becomes the puissant vin, the powerful wine. The name, later but not the picture, was changed to Sauce, or the Good Spring, after the wine shop was sold. Since we're here, we cannot move on without a quick look at what's going on at number 134. Here you can see a rather extraordinary decoration, relatively modern, dating from the 1930s. A fresco adorns the facade of this 17th century building. It used to be a delicatessen and it depicts pigs, deers, goats, game and poultry of all kind and is enriched with scrolls, flowers and arabesques, typical of the Art Nouveau. Quite brown in colour, but fabulous nonetheless and surely helped the shop stand out from the rest. Now, I mentioned that it was popular in Paris to have a statue outside your business and sometimes you will see an empty little niche where statues once stood. Time and revolution saw them destroyed. Here on the Rue Muftar, at number 44 and 45 is one such empty niche, but they can be found at various places around Paris, especially in the 5th arrondissement. The revolution was particularly aggressive when it came to, well, most things, but even shop signs and personal insignia were not spared and they were culled at an alarming rate. From 1791, any signs with anything to do with royalty had to be taken down. The revolution really had no sense of humour and so anything that even felt slightly royal had to be changed. Of course, any sensible people with a coat of arms, meaning that they were from the aristocracy, also hastened to remove this immediately from their home. By 1793, it was the turn of any religious imagery. Even churches were renamed. It is still possible to read on the doors of Saint-Sulpice, the supreme being, as God no longer had any place in France. One especially delicious story tells of a statue of the Virgin, which was replaced by the famous revolutionary figure Maha on the Rue des Orses in the 3rd arrondissement. This, however, was no ordinary religious statue meant to bring luck or be used as a handy navigational tool, but it had quite a history of its own, dating back some 400 years. Apparently, on the 3rd of July, 1418, a drunken Swiss guard, for some unstated reason, stabbed the statue of the Virgin. She immediately started bleeding. The soldier was promptly arrested, judged, condemned and executed at the place of the crime. From then on, until the Revolution, Parisians would celebrate each 3rd of July, filling the empty niche with candles and parading an effigy of the Swiss Guard through the neighbourhood before burning him at nightfall. The celebration ended with a fireworks display, not dissimilar to Guy Fawkes in England. In spirit, if not in theology anyway. Sadly, the niche no longer is there, as the road has been modernised since. Another particularly satisfying example of both a sign giving a street its name and revolutionary damage can be found on the Île Saint-Louis. Engraved into the stone, you can clearly read Rue de la Femme Sans Tête, or the Street of the Headless Woman. Below, in the regular blue sign, is the new, rather more boring name, Rue L'Harrigretterie. This is not the only place you can see an old name carved into stone. Sometimes they're the same as the modern road, other times they're very different. Rue de Rat, the street of rats in the 5th, is a good example. I understand why the people of that street didn't fancy living on Rat Street, and the hotel, which now gives the street its name, Rue de l'Hotel Colbert, would rather its clients did not think about rats as they checked in. Although it is a ten-minute walk from the famous restaurant La Tour d'Argent, which inspired the film Ratatouille, so maybe this was Remy's home. Anyway, here at Rue Le Rigatari, not only can we still see the old name of the street carved into the stone, but, rather spookily, above the engraving of the street name, on the corner of the road, you'll find a small niche, in which you can see what looks like a statue of a headless woman. In reality, it's just a serendipitous coincidence, as this statue is not at all of a headless woman. It is actually that of Saint Nicholas, patron saint of sailors, amongst others. Once he would have looked out at the Seine, over towards Notre Dame, but he lost his head at the hands of one of the crowdy sans-culottes during the Revolution, where religious signs and symbols, as we have seen, were defaced and destroyed throughout the city. The actual headless woman who lent her name to the street dates back to 1710. She was the sign for a bistro, depicting, you guessed it, a headless woman, standing, holding a drink in her hand. Why she was headless, and how she hoped to enjoy her drink, and why this was considered a good idea for a bistro, is beyond me. Perhaps it is yet another example of obscure French wordplay that I have failed to understand. If it makes sense to you, do let me know. To end, let's have a look at least one more traditional sign. Just around the corner from Rue Mouffetard at 9, Rue de l'Estrapade, we will find the ex-home of La Brûlerie Saint-Jacques. Look up and you will see a lovely wrought iron sign. Don't worry, it's a very reasonable size. On it, the figure of a man with a rather fabulous moustache, somewhat reminiscent of a shadow puppet figure, can be seen sitting and roasting coffee. Until 1970, this was a large Parisian roasting house. Today, it's a student residence, and except for the sign and a small panel above the gates bearing the initials BSJ, there is nothing to indicate what used to be here. Honestly, I could go on and on. There are so many signs, painted, sculpted, and hanging still in Paris. So like always, and once again, when you're here, look up and you will see them too. Obviously, there are better places to find them than others, and next time we will discover another great place to examine the signs, both old and new, of Paris. Once, these signs gave the streets their colourful names, amused those who understood them with their clever wordplay or double meanings, and were often painted or created by skilled artists. Their history is bound up with the history of France and Paris. They reflect the times, tastes and politics, and best of all, you can appreciate them while doing the thing that is best to do in Paris, walking. Today, we no longer risk life and limb walking down the street from shop signs falling on our heads. Modern shop signs pose a different problem, however. In Paris, there's a law that requires stores and office buildings to turn off their signs an hour after their last employee leaves. However, it does not always happen So, a Parisian based parkour collective have taken matters into their own hands in an attempt to reduce light pollution and wasting of resources by using their urban acrobatics to turn off the shop lights after dark. The battle between commerce and Parisian continues. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and do subscribe if you want more because as always, I'm never sure exactly when they're going to come out. Um, Have a look on my website for pictures of everything I've mentioned and thank you to everyone for your messages, especially to Christopher for all your help. Take care and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.